Game seven, eight seconds left, home team down by one. Oh, the home team strips the ball and the point guard is all alone. But it appears that there's a wet spot on the free throw line. The fans go silent. Their championship aspirations flash before their eyes. Wait, someone's running out on the court. Oh my, it's the towel boy. How did he clean it so fast? The point guard takes off and dunks the ball. Game over, the crowd erupts. Towel boy, towel boy. All right, so welcome to our first episode of The Towel Boy, because there is just one of us here today, and it is not Andy. He is unfortunately stuck in standstill traffic at this moment and wasn't able to make it. But on the bright side, we have an awesome guest for you guys today, and he is a sports writer a Bleacher Report contributor and author of a new book called Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever. So how are you doing today, Jake? I'm doing well. Thank you for that nice introduction. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm all right. And I'm just happy to be here. It's been a little bit since Andy and I have recorded. I just graduated from college, so everything's been crazy recently, but happy to be back doing some podcasts. So can you give us a little background on yourself, uh, what you do, and the book? Yeah, I mean, I've been an NBA reporter since 2013. I, I kind of got my start covering the draft that year at Slam Magazine. I was an intern and stuck around at Slam uh, for a while. And, you know, along those same time period, I, I started writing for Liberty Ballers at SB Nation. I was from Philly originally, grew up a Sixers fan, so that was <laughs> – a good foray into covering that team. And, you know, while I was in school in Boston, I went to games at night with a slam credential to TD Garden. And people forget Boston traded KG and Paul Pierce to Brooklyn the same night that Sam Hankey uh, traded New Orleans or Drew Holiday to New Orleans for New Orleans Noel and started the process. And <laughs> there, there were a lot of tanking teams. It wasn't just those process Sixers. The Celtics were trying to tr- trying to get lottery balls to that 2014 class. So is Orlando. Phoenix was originally intending to do so. Um, there, there were all these analytical-minded executives that were popping up trying to play that 2014 lottery, which was considered to be the best class since 2003. And who was running the league at the time? It was the Miami Heat, who they had three guys from that top five in 2003 in the Wade yeah. and Bosch, right? So exactly, it, it was a it was a pretty widespread strategy from these analytical-minded. Uh, executives from Rob Hennigan in Orlando, Ryan McDonough in Phoenix. You had Pete D'Alessandro take over in Sacramento. David Griffin comes to power in Cleveland. And um, you know, the book, I, I mean, obviously I think tanking in that period that the book covers 2012 to 2016 was such a topic around the league. The book's kind of just been a way to sum up and kind of put a cap on all the reporting I've done for the first eight years of my career here. That's incredible, man. And, you know, growing up a Sixers fan, no kidding, you would be so interested in this. So how did you feel throughout the process? You know, I was definitely very on board from the get-go. I think right. uh, I think what a lot of fans are clamoring for, they want to feel like their team is in some type of direction, some type of path and formula to doing something of consequence, right? And for a decade plus after – they made the finals with Iverson in 2001. It, there was there was really there wasn't much going on 
that was that inspired hope and belief that this team was developing into anything more than just a first round playoff exit. And it was really exciting to be a part of, especially covering it in you know, Liberty Ballers kind of blew up at the time to being this really popular blog where and we, we were kind of controlling the narrative on it. And um, it, uh, I mean, I, I do, I, I do recall at plain as day, I was in Barclays center for the draft in 2015. And when they announced that the Sixers had taken Jill Okafor, a person who wrote with me at Liberty Ballers at the time turned to me and was freaking out. And I just kind of shrugged and said, you know, best player available, right? And that, that was the moment I realized I wasn't really a fan of the team anymore. I kind of shifted full time into being, you know, an objective observer of the league at large. So the fandom has kind of gone away, but the intrigue in that team, I think, will always be here being that they were built in such a polarizing fashion. Absolutely. Uh, you know, kind of unfortunate that you were there for the process and not the Embiid era. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, when a game goes poorly and fans have to sit with that at night and this Joel and <laughs> I mean, I can pivot and be very interested in Phoenix, LA, Memphis, Utah. And I definitely, I cover the NBA at large. So I, I, I will trade that for being a fan of a team uh, anyway. So I think that's fair. Yeah. So in terms of the book, is there any specific like section you want to highlight or anything for us just to give us listeners uh, a little glimpse into what they can read? Yeah, I, th- I think the big selling pitch is I talked to, <clears throat> excuse me, I talked to over 300 people for this book, for players, agents, executives, coaches, college coaches, handlers, whatever, you name it. And I've got a ton of original storytelling from you know, locker room fights to transactional stuff to um, you know, trade negotiations, all that type of stuff. Um, so that's kind of the selling pitch. I mean, that's that's what I've done. If anyone has followed my work from Slam to Sports Illustrated, now I'm doing more like rumor stuff for Bleach Report. That's what they've got me on the payroll for. But <laughs> I, I've really prided myself on you know, original details and narrative nonfiction, in which we can certainly get into them. But that's kind of the overall uh, selling point. Awesome. And who was your favorite person to interview while you were doing all this? There were a lot. I think Evan Turner kind of takes the cake. He was A, hilarious, and B, <laughs> really vulnerable and open with me. I mean, he really told me that um, after he got traded to Indiana, you know, he was supposed to be the, the piece that was going to help push the Pacers past the heat, if you remember. And he, yep. and then, up, then he ends up registering DMPs in those Eastern Conference Finals. And for brutal. Him, he was the number two pick in the draft. Then he's getting DMPs. He reaches free agency, and there were only a few teams that were interested in signing him. It was Minnesota, Miami, and Boston, pretty much. That was it. And Miami pretty much said to him, you're going to be on our bench, but Dwayne Wade's going to sit like 25 games, so you'll be our starter when he's out. And Minnesota said, you know, we just drafted Andrew um, – we just traded for Andrew Wiggins with the LeBron trade. We're going to have to start start him and really feature him, so you're going to be behind him. Boston really only gave him the only opportunity to get back into like a real contributing factor. And for him to just be hilarious on one hand, but also open about like being really de- truly depressed and, and thinking about walking away from basketball after his rookie contract expired, I think that was just a really interesting detail. Yeah, I think that's really interesting to bring up specifically at this moment because we're hitting this 
fork in the road where there are these fans that are treating these players like they're not human. And that's just a great example of, of how these real people can be impacted by these decisions that so many people just think of as like, you know, it happens on social media and then it's gone the next day. So that's, that's interesting. Yeah. The league has really become I, I, like a reality TV show in a sense where the, the games are like episodes. Right. And then yep. there's stuff that happens in the comments and Twitter and social media all over the place. And it's just become, it's breed, it's bred a life of its own. There's definitely a real human element involved where, I mean, I think that's what makes tanking such a fascinating concept at large. It's that you are doing everything you can to get these guys, but they're 19 year old kids too. And that the right. nature of trusting a Nerlens Noel, who was supposed to be the number one overall pick that year in 2013. And then Philly is having to fine him for not showing up to his medical training on time and considering hiring a babysitter <laughs> uh, to keep him on task and, 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 and on schedule to the Kings DeMarcus Cousins fell to them at number five, partially because of the interpersonal, you know, disciplinary type stuff. And sure enough, it was really difficult for Sacramento to build around him because that, you know, that knock against him really reared its ugly head when they draft Jimmer Fredette in the lottery, they draft Nick Stas yep. in the lottery. And I've got a lot of reporting in the book from coaches, from Stasmus himself, from other players saying that like, DeMarcus didn't really give them a chance. He would scream and holler at those guys whenever they miss shop. <laughs> and he wouldn't give them an opportunity to really build their confidence. Like that's a real thing. You can get to the league and think that you're all that. But once you get there, if you don't have the confidence to hang at that level, like you're not going to survive. It's a really, really tough uh, line that you got to balance. It is totally. And you know, those issues have been following DeMarcus throughout his whole career. I mean, I was expecting him to to make a pretty long-term good pairing with Anthony Davis and between the injuries and the attitude and everything that just fizzled out earlier than expected. And he's just been a journeyman ever since. So yeah, no kidding. Yeah. The King stuff is probably a lot more outside the Marcus. I mean, Vivek coming into town and uh, hiring Pete D'Alessandro after they hired Michael Malone and starting that whole narrative of oh will Malone be fired at a certain point and then after that first season there's all this talk already about George Carl waiting in the wings and I've got this great detail in the book where the co- the Kings coaching staff is out to lunch at summer league that summer of 2014 and sure enough that I mean they're walking out of the restaurant on the strip and anyone who's been to Vegas knows there's thousands of restaurants on the strip <laughs> as they're walking out who walks into the restaurant six months before Michael Malone gets fired, but Vivek Ranadive, Chris Mullen, an advisor to the Kings at the time, and George Carl. Like, you can't make this oh. – you can't – that's the kind of stuff that really leaves an organization in a tailspin. Wow, that is absolutely wild. And, yeah, I mean, talk about an organization that has been stuck in mediocrity for – I mean, even less than mediocrity, if we're being honest, but – yeah, the Kings have not had a bunch of luck since even with DeMarcus. So, yeah, that's that's some cool tidbits of information and just more reasons why uh, our listeners should go and check out Jake Fisher's book. Um, so a few more questions about just yeah. tanking in general. So what are your personal opinions about tanking? What have you developed from doing all of this research? 
Well, I think the reason why it came into vogue in this time period is the reason also why we're still seeing OKC and Houston and Detroit and Orlando tank this season. If, if you want to compete for championships, if you really want to be a true contender, you need to have multiple all-stars. And if you're yep. a small market, the most direct path to getting those guys is through the draft. Look at Phoenix. They got Devin Booker and DeAndre, and, and that's what drives the attention of Chris Paul. And, I mean, the Lakers, they're all over the book. I kind of call the book an anecdotal history of a bunch of different case studies of, like, the same abstract where Philly is the most brazen, bold endeavor. You know, Boston, <laughs> we talked about, they moved on from KB and Paul Pierce um, a little probably too early, and it worked out for them. The Lakers, on the other hand, they were betting too much on Kobe. And even though he tore his Achilles and hurts his knee and hurts his shoulder, they were still betting that they'd be able to sign some people in free agency, and it didn't work out. And the Lakers were the most poorly managed team in the league. They were the worst record from 2012 to 2017, that five-year period. They literally had the worst record <laughs> in the entire NBA, and it didn't matter. They still signed LeBron in free agency. Anthony Davis wants to come play with him and the Lakers won the title last year, right? So the other teams don't have that margin for error. They need the draft. They need to tank in order to give themselves an opportunity to even be in the conversation with those guys. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think the Thunder building up that squad with Durant and Harden and Westbrook and building through the draft is another great example mm -hmm. of how valuable this is to small markets. Because like you said, I mean, nobody's choosing to go to Oklahoma City. You even see Paul George saying that he was going to stay there for a while, and then he leaves uh, the first opportunity he can get. So, I mean, yeah, this is prevalent, and it's very important because the big markets can walk around talking all this crap. But in the end, they do have the luxury of free agents wanting to sign there, whether the organization's, you know, impressive or not. Yeah, I, th I think – for a while, there was a, a, a narrative starting to, to come to the surface of, oh, you don't need to be in a small market anymore, or you don't need to be in a big market anymore. We saw, like, Greg Monroe signing in Milwaukee was considered to be this big win for the small market, <laughs> right? But look, we saw Kawhi and Paul George go to L.A. LeBron and AD go to L.A. Kawhi, or Kyrie and KD, and then Harden follows to Brooklyn. Like, the Knicks are going to be at the top of the pecking order this summer. For sure. It just, it just is what it is. These guys want to go to where the big city, the big lights are. They want to be the biggest stars they can possibly be. Sure, social media and the TV contracts and whatnot allow people to become global superstars no matter what market you're in. But you're going to have more attention if you're in the bigger ones. I mean, the Lakers are on national TV 40 times a year. Like, that's yeah. that. It, it, it's just inarguable. So, what do you think about the Giannis Supermax extension and the Damian Lillard extension and how those might actually enforce teams to want to go out and tank because they have a little hope that these top 10 players, top 12 players can get, will stay and re-sign with that group? Well, the Giannis situation is interesting being that, and I have this great scene from the book where he only got to Milwaukee because the Hawks couldn't trade up high enough to take him. The Hawks were dead set on taking hmm. Giannis. Danny Ferry was the GM at the time. He flew Giannis into Atlanta. It was the only team they visited with. 
They, they put him up in Danny Ferry's house. He had dinner with uh, Danny Ferry, Danny Ferry's kids, his wife, that Italian takeout at his kitchen table. They brought, wow. him, they brought him into the Phillips Arena, and Giannis had tears in his eyes looking at the big bright lights and all that. They just couldn't trade up high enough. They were really trying to trade with Dallas at number 13, but the Mavericks were trying to save cap space for that, that summer to chase Dwight and then to chase LeBron and Carmelo. They didn't want another um, – you know, rookie contract on their salary books, mudding up that cap sheet. So, um, you know, be flash forward now, even still, like he signs the Supermax. It's a big win for the Bucks. Yep. He could still request a trade wherever. And I think that was part of it. I mean, from talking to people around that situation, I think that was part of the calculus in signing that. He got the most money that he possibly could have. And he, if things go south, he could always request a trade just like James did with Houston to get to Brooklyn down the line. So yep. it, it was definitely a win for now, but who knows? The clock will be ticking if they can't get past Brooklyn. I mean, that's not going to be a great a great situation in Milwaukee. I'm not saying he's going to request a trade this summer, but you know maybe he will certainly down the line. Who, who's, who's to say? But that, that, that option is not off the table by any stretch. Yeah, absolutely. And just – this isn't necessarily related to tanking, but I just would like to get your insight on it. After that Dame all-time performance last night, it's hard to see him running it back with that group in Portland, but I don't know if that means a change in terms of C.J. McCollum or if he eventually requests a change of scenery, but what are your views on Dame's future in Portland? Well, from everything I've heard over the years, Dame is incredibly loyal to that franchise to that city that fan base there's been a lot of stars <clears throat> lebron uh who have made inklings and overtures of trying to team up with him and yeah. that really worked so far um i think th- there's also been a criticism that they might be loyal to a fault and that that's prevented portland from really seriously considering moving on from cj and moving on from other people but we saw neil o'shea trade two first-round picks to get Robert Covington, and they make the move to get Norm Powell. They clearly are feeling a sense of urgency to maximize this guy and his prime before it's too late. So there's all these rumors around the league right now about Terry Stotts' job security, and if they don't make it out in the first round, what that will mean for him. I would expect a coaching change. I think you're right. Maybe this is the year that they look to move McCollum legitimately and see what can come back. But um, it's – I, I'm I'm I don't I would be shocked if Dame is not in Portland next year though I will say that. Okay, yeah, that's that's good for everyone to know because of course as soon as a team starts to look bad, everybody starts making those jersey swaps online. Um, so I'm sure if the if the Blazers lose Game Six or Seven, that we're going to be seeing those run rampant on Twitter. Um, but I'd like to pivot back to tanking. So. In terms of the play, in terms of the play-in tournament, I've been listening. I listened to a ton of podcasts, and I heard Ryan Russillo argue that although a lot of people are saying that the play-in has, you know, made teams stop tanking that would otherwise be tanking, his argument is that all the teams that would have tanked tanked anyways, despite the play-in tournament, and that it did not much, if anything, to to halt tanking. What are your views on that? Well, there's definitely um, 
real real momentum around the league about how the plan tournament worked and drew up interest. And I, I, I reported in Bleacher Report a week or so ago that the G League is really progressing towards creating their kind of a start of season tournament where they'd have all the teams be in this tournament. They'd go, they'd have their, their, their final four and a prize money. And then um, at the end of the day, um, they would then have a second, uh, a second season, if you will, where everyone's record goes and resets to zero zero. And I think it's, it's twofold. I think that's partially motivated by, tanking and trying to prevent teams from just running out the clock during the end of the regular season, giving them something to play for. But I also think that the NBA has got a real conundrum where you mentioned, you know, fans being able to Photoshop players in their jerseys and whatnot. It's great for the, um, the, the, the discussion, the 11th month news cycle, if you will, but <laughs> also devalue the regular season a lot. And people care a lot more about the off season and, 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 predicting what's going to happen. Um, just like you asked me about Dame, then people care about, um, then people care about the actual games happening on the court and, and the league needs to, needs to face that head on and come up with a solution to draw back some more intrigue into their nightly product. Absolutely. Yeah. There's, there's no doubt about that. And you can see, especially this regular season after such a short off season that those teams in the bubble we're really going out of their way to either not try as hard in the regular season games this year or to straight up sit out whenever they could. So I, I completely agree. Yeah. Um, all right. So I have one more question about tanking, and then I'd like to do a quick um, just playoff prediction slash thoughts with you. I'm good. So the last question I have is about Oklahoma City. Uh-huh. <laughs> and look, they. I don't know if you could be more overt, more overtly tanking than they are right now. Because maybe, when you're talking about more selling, more overtly tanking than anything Hinky ever did. Yeah, exactly. I, I think that's indisputable. And you're looking at selling off Russell Westbrook and Paul George, but then you're starting to sell off these, you know, role players for as any picks you can get. At this point, they've stockpiled so many picks. You know, you see those like fake draft boards where Oklahoma City's one through thirty. And it it just makes you laugh, but it's like, when are they going to stop? And is this an acceptable, is, should this be acceptable from a league standpoint? Well, I think going back to the original question, OKC doesn't really have much, much more of a choice. I really think, um, they're at a certain point though, where it's going to have to stop eventually. I mean, you can't keep that. I, I think that was also a funny criticism of Hanky's process. Oh, this is a, this is a Ponzi scheme. They're just keep kicking the can down the road. That can't fly. Like you can't only do this for so long. And right. The Thunder have 17 first round picks or whatever <laughs> in the next three years. Like you can't have 17 first round picks on your roster. It just doesn't work nope. out. So they're going to end up having to consolidate and make some trades and whatnot. And, Shea Gildas Alexander is a really legitimate all-star, you know, potential guy. So that's going to be interesting to see how his timeline matches up with the rest of the organization's timeline and, and will they true. end up having to make some more moves to supplement him? I don't know. That's a question for Sam Presti and not myself. But <laughs> um, I think the fact that there were no fans in the stands this year due to COVID, um, you know, it didn't give that rival owners a chance to complain about 
low gate prices and whatnot. And the fact that they're in OKC and not a major media market like Philly, there were less opportunities for people to kind of throw up their hands. So um, I think it's kind of like the natural conclusion to all this stuff that we're talking about. Yeah, that's definitely fair. I'm interested to see if they start, I don't know, if they start offering four first round picks for you know, Bradley Beal, that kind of thing. If they start pooling those and trying to get stars, it'll be interesting to see how those trade packages match up with, you know, a young stud and one first round pick or something like that. For sure. For sure. Um, all right. So before I let you go, I just wanted to hear a couple of your playoff predictions or thoughts. So let's start with the Lakers. Yeah. I guess, I guess all of those teams, really the Lakers, the Celtics, the heat, the Heat and the Celtics are already out. The Lakers are one game away. What are your thoughts on how the bubble has affected these teams, or if at all? I think the bubble effect has been kind of overstated. With the Celtics, I mean, they had a lot of injuries, and obviously everything that happened today with Danny Age and Brad, I mean, it's been a it's been a tumultuous year in Boston. Miami, I think they just – these guys weren't as good as they thought they were. They had a really great bubble. I just think they weren't – they, they, they missed Jay Crowder. They had a, it wasn't just losing Jay Crowder, but they had it. They were lacking the same punch that they had a year ago. Um, and I think that with the Lakers, I mean, I was a big skeptic before they won the title, but they had, they, it obviously worked last year. They just, they have a really high ceiling and a low floor. Like when you build around a 35 plus year old guy in LeBron, yeah. when you build around a guy in AD who's always injury prone and you don't have a lot, a lot much more depth behind that, one of those guys goes down, you know, the margin for error automatically becomes a lot smaller. So I think that's what we're seeing here. They're, they're built for, you know, the highest of highs, but um, it's, uh, it's also, you know, potentially very fragile when it doesn't go out, to, doesn't work out to their, uh, their best opportunity. Yeah, totally. And, you know, looking at LeBron right now, he had a rough game last night. I expect him to have a great game in the next game, win or lose. But, God, I, I don't want to listen to those offseason questions about is LeBron still LeBron for, you know, four months. That That's going to be terrible because, you know, you deal with it with Tom Brady every year in football and, like, it's just <laughs> – it's just never ending. So, yeah. We'll see. We shall see how everything unfolds. Yeah. Um, and then just last question about the playoffs. Who's your Eastern Conference pick? I think right now with uh, the way that Joel Embiid's injury has kind of thrown everything out of whack, I, I definitely picked the Brooklyn Nets at this point. They just have so much firepower. We'll see, obviously, what happens with against Milwaukee. But the winner of that series probably has a good shot if Joel can't get back to full strength here. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's hard to go against Brooklyn at this point, despite how Milwaukee just – picked apart Miami Brooklyn just has those three guys that are impossible to stop and it's a lot of firepower but we'll see um all right thanks Jake for coming on really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me and I hope all of our listeners go check out Jake's book built to lose how the NBA's tanking era changed the league forever thank you man appreciate the time for uh for you yeah and uh you know available anywhere books are sold amazon.com bookshop.org barnes and noble i think the uh the original storytelling some of the details we talked about here there's a hell of a lot more inside so give it a read and uh support the book if you if you're interested guys thank you so much 
always remember to embrace your inner towel boy.